Welcome, God is Open. Today on God is Open, we're going to be talking about the prophecy of Israel being afflicted, imprisoned, enslaved for 400 years. Returning back to Genesis 15, and God appears to Abraham. He's not Abraham at this time, he's Abram. He appears to him in a dream. Often God's prophecies come to people in dreams. So watch uh, to see if the language in the text says, and the Lord came to him at night. So that would be like in a dream. Um, dreams were prophetic in that time. And this is how, one of the ways that God communicated with people. So we're now in Genesis 15, 13. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I shall bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. So I'll often be in conversations with individuals about God and prophecy and open theism, and they'll turn here automatically. And they'll, they'll pull it up and they'll say, hey, look at this. See, open theism is false because did you read this text? The format of the argument is uh, very interesting. Interesting in a, a way that it's uh, almost laughable because it, basically what they're doing is they're showing something that God says is going to happen and then jumping from that and saying that God knows all future events. So not, notice the multiple, multiple fallacies that are involved there. And so let's say, I could say that tomorrow. I could say, my children will be afflicted for 400 years. And would you go to that quote and look at it and say, hey, look, Chris is omniscient of all future events. No, you, you, you're missing a few steps. You're missing, number one, you're missing the step that where, where you show that it actually comes true. <laughs> That, that is actually a pretty big one. Uh, I think when we went through Roy's proof text, this was his first proof text. And what he, he does in, in his uh, book about this, where he's listing out these proof texts, is he, he always goes with the first step. He shows God saying something will happen and then jumping immediately to, see, God knows all the future in meticulous detail. And uh, he forgot his second step. Step The second step is actually pretty critical showing that it actually came true <laughs> you you would think you'd think maybe even 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 though that it is still a logical fallacy to go from grabbing one specific incident and then generalizing it oh god knew this one thing in the future god knows everything in the future that's that's a huge mistake um but even even without that logical fallacy you should at least show that the thing that god said would happen did happen. And uh, often people fail to do that. They'll say, hey, look at this. God said uh, Israel will be in captivity for 60 years. And then it's not quite 60 years. And that's what we have going on here as well. So this 400 years is, uh, let, let's see what how it's described in the text. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. Okay, so they're going to be somewhere where they don't own the land and they will be servants there so they are going to be helping out and doing stuff for the people who own the land and they will be afflicted 400 years so there's going to be some sort of persecution that's lasting 400 years so does the 400 years does it apply just to the affliction is it a combination of being sojourners 
servants, and then Ad being afflicted for the 400 years. Um, it's not quite clear. It, it sounds to me that they're going to be slaves for 400 years. And uh, that never comes true. That definitely never comes true. Um, it says, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. So I think most naturally everyone knows that this is referring to the Exodus. So let's turn to see what kind of data we have in Exodus for this. So we turn to Exodus 1.6 and we have Joseph dying. Now Joseph was the first Israelite in Egypt, brought his family into Egypt, and from him the people multiply. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And so Joseph is a distant memory at this point. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too, mighty, too many and mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join their enemies and fight against us and escape the land. They want a slave force. Okay, so the people are going to be enslaved at this point. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. So they started to be persecuted under this Pharaoh. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and in brick and in all kinds of work in the field. and all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Sepharim, and the other Puah, When you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew woman and see them on the birthstool, if it's a son, kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives, they fear God, and they let these male children live. So all within the realm of this pharaoh, we have oppression of Israel start and uh, the fear of Israel grow and then the command to kill, kill the kids, kill uh, the kids. But this is when Moses is born. So Moses is born and then he returns 80 years later. He's 80 at the time that he comes back to Pharaoh. So we have roughly 100 years in slavery and bondage. Until that time, they fared pretty well. They, they multiplied. They weren't oppressed. And they were just people who, uh, guests in the land, basically. They were, they were given part of the lands of Egypt as, as a homage to Joseph. And they multiplied exceedingly. But they're converted into this slave class about 100 years before the Exodus begins. And so does that meet the idea that we see in Genesis Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. So are they afflicted for 400 years? It doesn't seem so. It seems that they're afflicted for about 100 years. Um, they are sojourners in a land that's not theirs. Okay, servants there. Uh, maybe at that 100-year mark, they become servants. They might be considered servants before that time, but the affliction's not 400 years. And so he'll bring judgment on that land and they shall come out with great possessions. So what else do we notice here? We notice that there is a definitive time frame. And that's one thing about biblical prophecies, that if God had this meticulous knowledge of the future, 
and uh, you know pinpoint accuracy of every molecule, there shouldn't be loose prophecy dates. He should be able to say, on Thursday, March 5th, 2021, this will happen. But we don't see prophecy working like that. We see prophecy working with general time frames, vague time frames, time frames that are loose and flexible, that they have, you know, relative accuracy, but uh, not always, not always on the dot. And so even if years are added to someone's life, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's that exact moment plus those years and then they die or it doesn't mean that they can't die before that time as if they're granted immortality. It's, it's a rough generalization that that's how the Bible works with its dates. And we see that here. This is uh, evidence, proof positive of that because how long is Israel in Egypt? Let's turn back to Exodus. Notice this. Exodus 12:40. And the time that the people of Israel that they lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, and all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So all the people of God left Egypt after 130 years. So the time frame really should kick off at uh, 430 years ago. And the Genesis text, if it was going to be more accurate, it might in fact have that 430 years. But also consider that if it's a cumulative total, if it's like you guys are going to be sojourners and you're going to be oppressed and you add those times together, guess what? There's another 40 years that we need to be dealing with because Israel, they were led to the promised land and then they're turned around and they're sent back into the wilderness. And that's another 40 years at least of wandering in the wilderness. So going back to Genesis 15, 13, if this was a proof text for God meticulously knowing the future in detail, it probably would not be written like this. This 400 years is an estimation, and depending on how you calculate it, it's way off, right? So you add another about 70 years if you're trying to calculate them being sojourners and that they were going to be servants and afflicted. So if that's a cumulative total, you should actually be at about 470 years. And if this is, these all things are happening at the same time, this should be 100 years. They're going to be afflicted for 100 years. But the authors of the Bible are unconcerned about details coming true. You see that in prophecies, that the prophecy is a general thing that they're throwing out. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to storm this city. You're going to break down all the gates. You're going to roam through all the, the take your chariots through all the streets. Things like that. There's there's very specific details, and those details, no matter what side you are on in the debate, um, they don't come true. Tyre, Tyre was supposed to never be rebuilt. You could pull up a map of Tyre today. You could see a map of the city. It exists, and so the details are not coming true. The details aren't the point of prophecy. The details aren't aren't what uh, what's supposed to like spark our imagination and make us fear and serve God. The overall gist of it is the overall idea, the concept, and the concept is flexible and the concept can come true loosely, which is great evidence for open theism, because if open theism is true, that's how prophecy would operate. It's not exact. There's estimations and details don't come true, although the overall theme does come true. The themes materialize where the details do not. 
Anyways, I just think it's funny when this text is brought up as some sort of proof of God knowing the future. When it when they 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 stop at the first step, they say, "Here's God saying something about the future." They need they need to kind of follow through and show. Secondly, where did it happen? Where did it come about? Where did all the details materialize? And often they're going to be at a loss because the details often do not materialize. They they want their cake, they want to eat it too, and then they want a second cake on top of that because they want to generalize from that and say, see, God knows all future details. The text just doesn't work that way. That's uh, very damaging to the text. And it, it is kind of laughable and it is kind of funny that they would do this. They're desperate for proof texts. Anyways, questions or comments, put that down below. Thank you for listening.